for us. So here's what three different people have to say the gospel is. The first person is by a guy named Greg Gilbert, and he wrote a book called What is the Gospel? And so he says the gospel can really be stated in four words. God, man, Christ, response. He says this, we are accountable to the God who created us. We have sinned against that God and we will be judged. But God has acted in Jesus Christ to save us. And we take hold of that salvation by repentance from sin and from faith in Jesus. The book that uh, David uh, talked about, uh, it's written by a guy named Milton Vincent. Milton Vincent. It's called The Gospel Primer. It's an excellent, excellent book. And the whole thing, like David already said, is this book is just about preaching the gospel to yourself. And so what he does is the first, it's broken down into thirds. The first third is just, why do we preach the gospel to ourselves? And then in it, the next two pieces are, are just something that we can preach the gospel to ourselves. And it's written in prose, just the way you would talk, the gospel, and you, but you, it has the word like I in there. And the second part is the gospel and poetry, so it'd be easier to memorize. And some people like poetry, some people like prose, so it's written both ways. But in the beginning of this book, he gives us a dictionary type of a definition of the gospel, and he says this, the gospel is the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. When he writes out the gospel that we can preach to ourselves, however, it's 41 sentences long. So it's very encompassing. It has all these different pieces, God's wrath, our responsibility, what Christ has done for us, where we're going to be uh, in the future. So this Wednesday, I, I had a lunch with a, with a friend of mine, uh, Mike Ratton. He's a pastor in Hollis. And I asked him this question. I said, what is the gospel and um, what does it mean to preach the gospel to yourself? So a simple question like that, I was supposed to be there for an hour and then come home. I told Mickey I'll be home at 3.30. And I thought, well, this will take like 15 minutes and then we'll talk about the rest of the stuff. We were there for two hours. <laughs> at 4.30, I'm like, I'm leaving now. <laughs> so, but we are going through, what is the gospel? It took us two hours. And this guy's a pastor who should have just been able to say, this is what the gospel is. But we talked about it. How do you preach the gospel to yourself? And so I, I was pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And I'm like, I just want just a short little thing. I heard a guy one time, uh, he was a businessman, and, and he said, this guy was talking to this businessman. And when people come and say, I have this idea for you. And the guy was real busy. He's, he would say, just write on the back of your business card and give it to me. And the guy's like, well, I can't write on the back of my business card. He said, if you can't write on the back of your business card, then you don't really know what your idea is. So after talking to Mike for two hours, I'm like, I need the business card. I need the business card. I need the business card. That's all I want. I just want the business card. Because if we're talking to a woman who's struggling with fear and anxiety, we're going to approach the gospel different than if we're talking about a guy who comes home every night and yells at his wife and yells at his kids. There's different approaches, but that gospel core remains the same. It's the same essence. And I'm like, I want that on a business card. So he's like, okay, I'll write you an email. By tomorrow morning, you'll have it, 7 a.m. So I get his email, it's 330 words long. <laughs> and I'm like, no, either you have big business cards or you're using like a font one on this thing because there's no way I can possibly read this. But here's what he said, and we have an overhead for this because it's just absolutely wonderful. 
He says, what does it mean to preach the gospel to myself? It means that I tell myself by way of reminder the gospel story so as to know what I was before I believed the gospel, what and who am I because of Jesus and the gospel, and where I will be for eternity because of the gospel. In his email, he went he continued on and said three different areas how the gospel specifically affects us. He talked about sin, identity, and sanctification. And this is what he had to say because this was so good. He said, the gospel seeks, speaks to my sin. He says, my sin is forever positionally forgiven. We are forever forgiven because of Christ, like a judicial legal way. He said, I was under the verdict of God's eternal wrath. I was unable because of my sin to merit God's love. And Jesus took my place. I am forgiven. Jesus became my righteousness. It is this great exchange. He took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. That's how the gospel affects our sin. He said objectively though, right, we still have remaining sin that's in us, but the sin no longer rules us. Christ in the cross has broken the power of sin, so we are now able to fight against it and to not sin. He also spoke to me about the gospel and how the gospel seeks to my identity, who we are. He says, my identity is not from this world, but is an adopted son or daughter of God. I have a new father I am a co-heir with Christ. I was adopted into the family of God before the world was ever made. I am forever God's child. I am eternally loved by God. He talks about the gospel and sanctification. He said this. He said, my growth, sanctification, which is the growth into Christ's likeness. He said, I am made holy positionally through Christ's death. Once again, we're made holy through Christ's death. He said, but the practical sanctification comes through beholding the cross, beholding the gospel, beholding this blazing center of God's glory. And in the light of the gospel, we are changed. In the light of the gospel, we are transformed. And so when we look at the gospel, we see where we were. And we see how we were saved. And we see who we are now in Christ. And we see where we will be for eternity. Two of my personal favorite places that I like to go when I think about the gospel and I look at the gospel are Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, and specifically 3, and also Romans 8, 1. So let's just look at this. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. And I like to uh, connect that with Romans 8.1, which says, there is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as I put those two things together, and I come up with that business card, what is the gospel? And as you can see, there's so much of the gospel, it's hard. But as I say, this is what I'm putting on my business card. I say this, Christ died for my sins. Therefore, there is no condemnation. Christ died for my sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation. See, condemnation is something that we feel so clearly. We condemn ourselves. We feel like other people condemn us. We feel that God himself condemns us. And then Jesus Christ comes in and he says to us, I died for your sins. Therefore, there is no condemnation. And the thought that there's no condemnation is just It's just incredible when you think about it, right? There is no condemnation. This sin that we have sinned, these sins that we will sin, these times when we, you know, sometimes we feel that guilt so strong. Sometimes we kind of sin and we're, you know, immune to it. Or we continue to sin in the same, you know, way. And and sometimes we get kind of cauterized almost our consciences to those things. But other times the Holy Spirit comes through and shows us our sins so clearly that the first thing we feel is that condemnation. And sometimes we sin against others and we can see it in their faces. Or we can see it in the actions. And we feel that condemnation so strongly. And Christ comes in and says, I died for that. I died for your sins. There is no condemnation. If Christ's death was not complete, we would have condemnation. If Christ's death was not strong enough to conquer sin, we would have condemnation. But Christ's death conquered sin. There is no condemnation whatsoever. Christ has conquered it. Isn't that just incredible when you stop and think about it? Christ died for my sins. There is, therefore, no condemnation. So why preach the gospel to yourself? If you've been a Christian for a while, chances are you've heard the saying, preach the gospel to yourself. So what does that mean, right? Because if we look at the gospel and we say, this is how someone is saved, and we say we are saved, then why bother to preach it anymore, right? We've already done what we're supposed to do, so why preach the gospel to ourselves? The answer is that, We need the gospel not only to become Christians, we need the gospel to live as Christians. We need the gospel on a day-to-day basis. We need to hear the gospel to thrive as Christians. We need to hear the gospel about Christ forgiving our sins after we have sinned. We need to hear that There is no condemnation when others or ourselves are condemning us. We need to hear about our identity in Christ when this anxiousness and this fearfulness and this sinfulness overtakes us and we forget who we are. That's when we need to hear the gospel again so we know who we are. We are God's children. He has died for us. There is no condemnation. And so we need to preach this gospel to ourselves all the time. In this book, A Gospel Primer, Milton Vincent gives us 31 reasons 
for why we should preach the gospel to ourselves. Specific reasons. This is why, 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 this is why. But there's far more than just the 31 reasons. He limited it to 31 different reasons why we as Christians should preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. And if we don't preach the gospel to ourselves, our love grows cold. And we begin to wander. And we begin to sin more and more. And our relationships begin to break down. Our unity begins to break down because we don't forgive others as Christ forgave us. And we start to look to others for those things that only Christ can give us. And so we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. So the next question how do we preach the gospel to ourselves? Because as we said earlier, each person is different. Each set of circumstances that people get into are different than the other ones. And so we preach the gospel to ourselves in different ways. The gospel doesn't change. But there's those different aspects of the gospel. So many different aspects that when Mike and I are talking, it takes us two hours, and we're still not exhausted with what it is. He's like, I'm going to try to email you tomorrow. And even his business card size thing, he couldn't even do that. There was so much. He's like, well, 330 words, that's the smallest I can get it. So, I mean, there's just, there's just so much. And so, someone struggling with fear and anxiety as they preach the gospel themselves, is going to be much different than someone who's dealing with the area of pride. And someone who's struggling with this guilt of sin is going to preach the gospel themselves much different than someone who says, my life is dull. I want to praise God. I I can't praise God, but I want to praise God. It is much different how he approaches the gospel and how he preaches the gospel to himself. It's the same gospel, but we look at these different aspects of it. So what we want to do is we want to look at some of these different ways that we can preach the gospel to ourselves. So I've got several different uh, ways. So let's look at the situation. We have an overhead for this. Uh, this is kind of a long passage, so if you want to turn to Titus chapter 3, it's eight verses long. Um, and then we have an overhead. Actually, it took three overheads to get this passage on. But The first one, preaching the gospel to ourselves to help us combat pride. So many of us have pride in our lives. Whether it's our, uh, you know, jobs or, or, you know, our status or how we view ourselves as Christians or even in our humbleness. You know, it's like we're tempted to have pride in our humility. Have you ever thought about that? I, I, I had that probably like an hour ago. <laughs> I'm driving in, and I'm looking at my own weakness, and I'm truly feeling inadequate to preach the gospel of Christ. And I think there was a true humility in that. And then I got this little smirk about how humble I was. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm pretty humble here. <laughs> so it's like, it's like even, in, even in humility, we have pride. It's like, I don't think anyone, you know what I mean, is, 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 is far from it, but... Anyway, let's look at this. So this is Titus in chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 8. And this is uh, the Apostle Paul talking to Titus. And I'll just give a little background. Titus is uh, going to start these churches. or he's, I think I'll talk more about this later. But anyway, Paul is talking to Titus. 
He says this, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Speak evil to no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy to all people. For we ourselves, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This thing is trustworthy, and I want you to assist on these things, so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So how does pride fit in there? The Apostle Paul assigns Titus to go to Crete and to set up churches, to establish these elders in there. So he's supposed to go in, and he's supposed to complete the work, assign elders in every church to teach sound doctrine and to rebuke people who oppose sound doctrine. He's supposed to rebuke people, to set up elders. And so Paul puts Titus in the situation of authority. He is a mature Christian among immature Christians. Because Paul tells Titus, he says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, says Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That's what that's what the prophet of the Cretans said. Cretans, Cretans, however you say that word. And Paul then says this. This testimony is true. Paul's been there. He says, this testimony is true. They are liars, evil, lazy gluttons. He says, therefore, rebuke them sharply so they may be sound in faith. He says, declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And so Paul is in the middle of telling Titus this stuff. This is what I want you to do. These people are lazy. There's gluttons. You're, you're going to set up the churches. You're going to do this. And you see this temptation to pride come in. You see this temptation to pride. And Paul, in the middle of this thing, just stops. And it's like when he's writing, he sees himself in the middle of it. Because in the middle of all this instruction, all this instruction, all this instruction, he looks and he sees what he was saved from. He says, we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to our passion, slaves to our pleasure, passing our days in malice and in envy, hated by others and hating each other. He was saved from sin. And he looks at how he was saved. When the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works of righteousness, but according to His own mercy. And he looks at his identity in Christ and he says, I am an heir. And he looks at eternity and he says, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So this combats pride because we see we are the same. There is no difference What's the difference? Christ 
saved us. And there is no room for pride as we look at that. Number two, preaching the gospel to ourselves prevents us from having a works-based righteousness. In this same uh, Titus passage, um, well, actually, before I get there, this whole works-based righteousness is easy for us to slide into. We know that we are saved by faith, but for some reason we think that we're perfected by our works. And so we try to do these works in order to sustain us, in order to build us, to build us up. And so if we fail to do what is right, we condemn ourselves. If we sin, we condemn ourselves. And the book of James um, tells us... That, I hate this. It seems like at least one time a sermon I confuse myself. So <laughs> here's, what, here's what it is. We slide into this. We're saved by faith, but now we have to sustain this by works. And James comes up and he says to us that because we need to do works. Here's, here's where the confusion lies, right? We are to do good works but we're not saved by good works. And so when James looks at us, he says, examine your faith and see if there is any works. If there's no works, then probably there's no faith. But Paul talks to the Galatians and he sees the opposite. He sees what we normally fall into. I guess it wouldn't be the opposite, but but Paul looks at the Galatians and he says this. He says, oh you, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Our natural tendency is to begin by the Spirit, but to try to perfect ourselves by our own works. And so, Paul in this Titus, in in verses 1 and 2, he tells the people to do good works. He says, Titus, tell them to do good works in verse 1 and 2. And then he stops and he preaches the gospel. And in verse 8, he finishes, goes right back to the same thing. So tell the people to do good works. But it's in the context of the gospel. So as we read the gospel, we realize that not only are we saved by faith, but we do our works because of faith. Once again, it's Christ that's in us, that's doing this. And this is one of the reasons why we preach the gospel to ourselves. We see it's not us, it's Christ and his sacrifice, and his work that does it. And it's because he says it is finished. Why we can say that. It is finished. Christ's work is finished. Christ's work has done it. Number three. We preach the gospel to ourselves to help combat fear and anxiety. There's a woman who's married. She has several young children. And she struggles with fear and anxiety. Every morning, she wakes up fearful. And every night, she goes to bed anxious. How can she preach the gospel to herself? What part of the gospel will help this woman? One of the ways is to look at her identity in Christ. Her identity is not from this world. As she preaches this the gospel, my, she can say, my identity is not from this world. I am an adopted daughter of God. I have a new father. I'm an heir with 
Christ. I am adopted into God's family. I am forever God's child. I am loved by God eternally. If God loved me enough to send Jesus Christ to die for me, that I might be with him forever, will he not take care of me? We preach the gospel to ourselves to keep us from falling into sin. Uh, Milton Vincent in this book says, Though saved, I am daily beset by a sinful flesh that craves things that are contrary to the Spirit. He says, on the most basic of levels, I desire fullness. I desire to be fulfilled. And these fleshly desires exploit these empty spaces in me. And they promise that they will deliver this fullness. He says, we desire fullness. This sin offers us fullness. And so, to mortify this sin, to mortify this um, these fleshly lusts, to eliminate these empty spaces in us, he says we need to replace it with fullness. And he says we get this by feasting on the gospel. We have these emptiness. We want this fullness. And it is Jesus Christ who will fulfill us. So we strive to um, replace the desire for fulfillment that this sin is offering us with the gospel. So as we preach the gospel we, to ourselves, we see the lie that sin has to offer. There is no fulfillment that's going to take place in sin. And this fullness only comes from Christ dying on the cross. We preach the gospel to ourselves, and listen to this, this one is so important. We preach the gospel to ourselves to help us recover after we have sinned. After we have sinned. There's a young man who struggles with sin, and it seems like he just can't get over it. And he feels like he's always letting other people down because of his sin. He's always letting himself down from his sin. How can he recover from his sin? How can he preach to the gospel to himself as he tries to recover from this sin? He can look to the fact that in Christ there is no condemnation. If there's a sin that's hard to stop, think about how much guilt goes along with that. And we end up thinking that we're not good Christians. After a while, we begin to doubt, are we even a Christian? This sin keeps coming up. I keep struggling with this sin. This guilt comes through. We start to condemn ourselves. And the gospel comes in and says, Christ died for my sins. There is no condemnation. I am a child of God. I was adopted by God before the foundation of the world. Jesus knew everything that I would do on this earth. And he said, I want you. I will come to earth and die for you. I am your brother. I am your co-heir. I died for your sins. There is no condemnation at all. We preach the gospel to ourselves to help us to forgive others. There's a young girl whose friend has betrayed her. Her friend has sinned against her. 
And now her friend asks her to forgive her. But the young girl struggles with forgiving her. How can she forgive her friend after what she did? How can she forgive her friend after her friend betrayed her in front of everybody? How can she preach the gospel to herself in this situation? If she looks closely and she sees her sin herself as she looks at the gospel, that's part of it, seeing our sin. And she sees that Christ forgave her for her sins. She can say, I was under the verdict of God's eternal wrath. I was unable because of my sin to merit God's love. And yet Jesus took my place. Jesus forgave my sin. He made that great exchange. He took my sin. He gave me his righteousness. And when she really sees her sin, and she really sees what Christ has done, and she sees that Christ has forgiven her, she can in turn forgive her friend. What are the chances of her being able to forgive her friend if she's not proclaiming the gospel to herself? How easy is it for you to forgive your sin, just to forgive other sins just on your own? Someone sins and you're just thinking about yourself and you're having a bad day. How easy is it to forgive someone? It's hard. It's almost impossible. But if we preach the gospel to ourselves, we forgive others because Christ forgave us. So that's why we preach the gospel to ourselves. We preach the gospel to ourselves to help us during times of suffering. There's a man who's struggling with health problems, and they continue to plague him, and he is in pain, and honestly, he's just plain tired. He's just plain tired of everything. How do we preach the gospel? How does he preach the gospel to himself? Romans chapter 5 has the answer to this, because that passage, I'm not going to read it, but it starts out saying, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that passage ends saying, while we were still weak, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. This is one of the most marvelous passages on the the gospel. And as you look, well... You probably can't see my Bible, but in my Bible, it's one, almost one entire column devoted to the gospel. Almost an entire column in there. And smack dab, right in the middle of it, he says, we rejoice in our suffering. Halfway between we've been justified, we have peace, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, he says we rejoice in our suffering. And we rejoice in our suffering because God has a plan for our suffering. They will produce endurance and character, and hope. And hope won't put us to shame because God's love is important to our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For us to understand suffering, God has put it into the middle of it. And even as we look furthermore at suffering, we see what Christ suffered for us. So not only is that suffering in the middle of the gospel where We rejoice in it because God has a plan in it, but we also see how Christ suffered for us as well. And so one of these richest teachings in the gospel of the Bible, it says, basically, if we are to rejoice in our sufferings, we must rejoice in the gospel because it's right in the middle of it. 
We preach the gospel to ourselves to help us to praise God. This is something that God has been teaching me this last month. I recently heard someone speak and they were saying that if we really want to praise God, one of the ways to do it is to see and enjoy beauty for what it is. And as we see it and we enjoy it for what it is, we naturally lead into praise. So picture looking at a lake that's in front of a mountain on a bright, clear, sunny day. You see how beautiful it is? And listen to the sound. Feel the breeze on your face. Feel the sunshine. That's seeing it for the simple beauty of what it is. And when we truly see something for the beauty that it is, we enjoy it. And we enjoy it. This is where the world stops. They stop at enjoying it. But for praising God, we see it. And we enjoy it. And we praise God because of it. And so, I was just, <laughs> it's funny. We I came down from New Hampshire, and they've got four inches of snow, and the flakes are this big coming down. Every single pine tree is covered with snow, every single thing. And I was going to say, you know how the snow was this morning? But I got down here, and it's like all rain. So, <laughs> so you know how the rain is coming off the pine trees? No, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> but it's like that snow, right? And so I'm coming down here, and I'm just like admiring the snow and the beauty because of it. It's just absolutely beautiful. And I'm praising God. It comes natural to praise God. And so when we preach the gospel to ourselves, we want to do the same thing with the cross. And so we picture Jesus on the cross. But we picture a place that the Bible calls the place of the skull. We picture him on the cross at the place of the skull on a dark day, dying for you. Dying to forgive you. Dying so that He won't condemn you. How can it be that Christ is on the cross because of my sin and He doesn't condemn me because of my sin? Because He takes that sin. Because He forgives me for my sin. And Christ says to me, I died for your sins. There is no condemnation. So see the cross in its horror and its beauty. Feel his forgiveness of your sins. Feel the no condemnation. And then praise God because of what he has done. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you haven't heard the gospel before. Or maybe you've heard it, but you haven't really believed it. You've never repented. You've never asked Christ to forgive your sins. Does this forgiveness of sin include you? Does Christ's death include you? Does that no condemnation part include you? The answer is that if you haven't put your faith in Christ, no. If you don't confess your sins, if you don't ask for forgiveness, you will be lost forever. God's wrath will be on you. Jesus is willing to forgive you but he will not wait forever. Ask for his forgiveness. Believe 
repent. And then you can say with us, Jesus died for my sins. There is no condemnation in Christ at all. So there's many other ways or, that you can preach the gospel to yourself. Many other reasons to preach your gospel to yourself. Like I said, Milton Vincent had 31 and that just barely scratches the surface. We just tried to look at some different things from as many different angles as we could. How do you preach the gospel to yourself? Um, and so some of these other times, the gospel helps us in times of trouble. The gospel helps us from wandering and gold, growing cold. It helps us to see our identity in Christ. But as you come up with these different situations in your life, try to see how does this gospel apply to me? How can I preach the gospel to myself on a daily basis? Because the gospel keeps bringing us back to Christ. It keeps bringing us back to who we are in Christ. It keeps bringing us back to where we're going to spend eternity. It brings us back to hope is what it does. It brings us back to Christ died for my sins. Therefore, there is no condemnation. The band can come up as we close in prayer here. Father God, we come before you and we just praise you, Lord, for what you do for us, Lord. You have died for our sins. You have taken our guilt. You have taken the wrath of the Father for us. You have forgiven our sins. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation, Lord. Whatever sin we have done, whatever sin we will do, no matter how simple or how difficult, no matter how harmless it feels or no matter how harmful it feels, Lord, there is no condemnation. How can there be condemnation when you have died on the cross to forgive our sins? And so, Lord, we just praise you, Lord, that you have taken our condemnation for us, Lord. We just praise you that we are forgiven. We praise you that we have been adopted by you. We praise you that you are our brother. We praise you that we will be in eternity with you. We praise you that we'll be in eternity with each other. We praise you that you died for our sins and that there is no condemnation. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.